Hello, everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by FourthGloryBullState.com. I'm Craig Narasala, and I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Musso. How are we doing tonight, Brandon? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, Penn State rattled off their fourth straight victory to end the year. Uh, as I put in the last podcast title, For the Glory, uh, with the F-O-U-R, <laughs> they finally got, you know, they got that fourth straight win, and they beat the Illini 56-21. And after a wild first quarter, it was a really convincing victory for Penn State, and I think a great way to close out the season. A lot of good things that we saw. Um, so let's start with the first quarter, which had a ton of action, 42 combined points for both teams. Uh, it all started with a, you know, a Jahan Dotson 75-yard touchdown where he just took a curl route. Illinois defender played it, misplayed it, and he went straight up the field and used his speed. It was the start of the Jahan Dotson show, kind of like the Ohio State game going back uh, to earlier in the season, and he kicked things off the right way for Penn State. Yeah, I'll tell you, I mean, it was really wild on both sides, Illinois and Penn State. You know, obviously the first Penn State offensive play was a touchdown, as you mentioned, and I'll tell you, after that, it never calmed down during the first quarter. Both sides were just getting, you know, chunk plays seemingly at will, and I, I really think when I was watching that game, I was like, oh, this defense kind of looks like they, you know, returned to their old self and they looked very porous. And it was really, I kind of just, I was like having flashbacks for the first five, in the first five games of the season watching this defense. And I know we talked about it in our podcast, how, how bad the defense has been. And they really did look um, pretty bad in that first quarter. Um, they were getting, Illinois offense was getting it done with the run and the pass as I said, it was quick strikes. Like that, that first quarter was a very long quarter because it was just like, you know, a play touchdown or a couple of plays and a touchdown and then a commercial break. And it's like in the first yeah. hours, like we're not even through the first quarter yet. Um, but I'll tell you, it really looked like it was going to be a long day for the defense, but you know, to Penn state's credit, their offense was up for the task and they kind of, you know, mm-hmm. met the, the challenge and continued to match with their points. And it was just kind of a, uh, back and forth, you know, haymaker kind of battle in the first uh, first quarter. Yeah, and you said last week that you expected Illinois to really open up the playbook, and all throughout the game, the broadcasters kept mentioning how they're treating this like a bowl game. They had their interim head coach, Rod Smith, at the helm, replacing Lovey Smith, and first play of the game, you mentioned Brandon Peters as your player to watch last week. He dropped back to pass, and he threw it to the back of quarterback Isaiah Williams. Isaiah Williams threw it down the field for you know on a lateral pass, and it just was a sign of things to come. Luckily, on that first drive, they were bailed out by a Keaton Ellis interception. Fantastic play that he made. But then Sean Clifford fumbled right away on a, a really nice run that he had, but he just coughed it up, uh, which led to an Illinois touchdown. Following uh, that touchdown, Lamont Wade, again, we mentioned this last week, that we loved what we saw for him in the return game. And instead of, you know, instead of waving for the fair catch in the end zone, he brought it out and he went a hundred yards for, for the easy <laughs> touchdown. But then again, Illinois kept fighting back. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Williams had a 64 yard run, kind of reminiscent of the Isaiah Williams from last decade. That was an Illinois quarterback, Juice Williams, if you remember him. Uh, and then Chase Brown uh, cashed in the touchdown. And then Illinois actually took the lead. Williams uh, hit uh, his tight end Barker on a screen pass. There was a missed tackle from Lance Dixon, uh, one of the backup linebackers. But after that, Penn State just took full control, um, and they ended up scoring, uh, what was it, 28 unanswered points to close the first half. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, that that first quarter it was just just a wild game back and forth. But as you said, you know, the second quarter things started to calm down, and, and you know, Penn State started to get the momentum, and they kind of never relinquished that. Now the Lions closed the first quarter with a touchdown drive of their own, and it was a really I thought it was a, a important drive in the game because it looked like at that point Illinois was not going to stop scoring. But Penn State was able to answer back. Uh, Levis hit Theo Johnson, one of my. Uh, Breakout players from early in the year found him up the seam on a nice play. Kevon Lee had a big run, and then Levis on a fourth and three inside the Penn or inside the Illinois five rather. Uh, he did a fake pass to Bretton Strange on the outside and ran up the middle with it, which talked about creativity and Kurtz Rock his offense. I thought that was a nice little creative play that they ran, so that you obviously run up the middle a lot with Levis, but we needed to add a little bit of a fake there so we can get into the end zone, and then to close the first quarter. Penn State defense stepped up. Uh, Brandon Smith applied some pressure on Williams, and Brisker and Tony cleaned it up with a uh, a sack. From there, started the second quarter. Jahan Dotson really took over. Started the quarter <laughs> off with a punt return to the ten, which Penn State then cashed in on a Holmes uh, touchdown run. He had a twenty-four yard catch, breaking tackles, a seventy-yard screen pass, went that one for a touchdown. In the second quarter. And for the day, Jahan Dotson had six catches for 189 yards, two touchdowns. And it looked like early on that he was actually going to break Deion Butler's record of uh, 216 receiving yards in a game uh, that he had in 2006 against Northwestern. I was actually at that game, and I remember that very well. But uh, he didn't get there, but he said he was really hungry considering that the All-Big Ten teams came out, and he was on the third team, not even the second team, not the first team, when he actually outperformed Olave and Garrett Wilson when they came to uh, Beaver Stadium in October. And he was really hungry, and he definitely looked that way on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, how much more can you even say about the guy? He's just – he's a tremendous talent, and he put on quite the show on Saturday. And it was very enjoyable, as especially as a Penn State fan, to watch that. And as you said, probably got some motiva- motivation from, you know, getting snubbed from, from that list. But while we're on him – I know I talked about this with you um, during the week, just a little yeah. uh, story. So Craig and I worked together um, at one point and during a signing day one year, we were working while, you know, simultaneously updating the for the glory Facebook page with all the recruits that are signing their letter of intents. And um, we were sitting there and getting ready and we get an update that this guy named Jahan Dotson that just flipped from UCLA and is now signing with Penn state. So we're like, Oh, okay. Nice surprise there. He's, I guess he's a good get, you know, a nice wide receiver for the class, but I'll tell you what, boy, we did not realize what we would have in that guy that was, you know, basically a late, late, late add to the class. And uh, I'm, I can only say I'm very happy that it happened that way. Yeah, and that was the class with uh, Micah Parsons, Justin Shorter. Those are the headliners. Those are some of the top recruits in Penn State history uh, based on 24-7 sports rankings. And Jahan Dotson is coming out as one of the top players in that class and what was a really special class at this point. And, you know, we'll see if he ends up going to the NFL. He has a couple long conversations to have with his family and with uh, Coach Franklin and Coach Stubblefield, his position coach. But, man, he, he ended the season on a really high note on Saturday. I'm really happy for him because, like I said, we, we thought going into the year that this would be the weakness of the team. And because of him, because of Parker Washington emerging, this was the biggest strength of the team. And all credit goes to, to Dotson and the rest of that receiving core led by him. 
Yeah, I mean he's at he's at a special year, and we can only hope that he wants to come back and play another year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cross our fingers on that one. Uh, I also want to touch on some of the second quarter highlights where Penn State ended up going up forty two twenty one. Um, Keziah Holmes has first college touchdown, um, and it was his best game by far. He had uh, twelve carries for seventy seven yards, and they ended up adding on another touchdown later in the game. So two total on the day. Uh, and then Kevon Lee matched uh, Holmes's touchdown in the first in the the second quarter with uh, and then he had a nice day as well. Mister Consistent really for me. Nineteen carries, eighty five yards, and of course the touchdown. And you know Lee's getting a lot of Tony Hunt comparisons I'm seeing on social media. I don't know if it's he doesn't have the breakout speed, but he's constantly just falling forward, and mm-hmm. you know, he just gets the job done. And I I think this was the best uh, day we've had from the running backs all year. And you know. Is it a little late in the season? Yes, but, hey, better late than never. It's something we can always uh, look forward to going into next year. Yeah, I mean, I think we've looked at a lot of the opponents that Penn State has played across, like throughout the past couple of years, and they always have those running backs that, you know, fall forward and, you know, maybe at least just get three or four yards. And I don't think we've ever – I mean, we've had, but in, over the past couple of years, we haven't had that guy that has gotten those extra yards like they, our opponents have seemingly got. So – it was really nice to see, you know, someone like that have a good day and, you know, a guy that we've been talking about all year. Yeah, he's he's less of the big play guy that uh, Barkley and Sanders and even Journey Brown when he was healthy are. Uh, but, man, he's just – he gets the job done. I, I love having him as a, a true freshman leading the charge. And then Holmes, obviously, as we said, stepping up and, uh, you know, ending his season on a high note as well. And, you know, as we said, Penn State really dominated after the first quarter. Uh, a couple other highlights from the game. Brenton Strange had an awesome touchdown catch. Uh, we can't forget, you know, I, I love Theo Johnson, and he's a true freshman. But Brenton Strange is a redshirt freshman, and he's looked great filling in for Pat Fryer with these last couple games. Uh, he had the – I thought he was going to be short of the goal. I thought his elbow hit. He kept his balance uh, with his hand, and he, he fell into the end zone. He had a, a face uh, full of grass, but uh, mm-hmm. he fell in. And then also Will Levis hurdled the defender. Uh, late in that game when he was uh, taking over full-time for Sean Clifford. Just a lot of really good things, I thought, on Saturday. Uh, and I mentioned Clifford. He was 16 of 22, 285 yards and two touchdowns, uh, both the Dotson. Brand Smith had three tackles for loss. And, you know, I mentioned he had a, a force. Uh, he forced some pressure on Williams and led to a sack by Tony and Brisker. And then um, Antonio Shelton had a sack and a forced fumble on a fourth down play on his last game at Beaver Stadium. So, again, a lot of great things happening in this game and uh, really ended the season on a high note pretty much in all phases of football, uh, the, the football game. Yeah, you mentioned like you mentioned some offense and, and a little bit of defense, but I do want to talk about the defense a little bit more. Um, I did mention before, first quarter, they didn't look good. But, I mean, to their credit, they really cleaned it up and they played well, as you said, that like, dominated the last three quarters. And I talked about it a little bit in the last pod, like Illinois spent the week preparing for Penn state. So I was kind of expecting them to come out in the early parts of the game with those, as I said, Penn state beaters in terms of, you know, those plays that they dry up, they draw up by studying the Penn state defense, you know, weaknesses. And, you know, they use those in the first quarter and they got their points and everything. And then I think Penn state adjusted well. And then the, the well kind of went dry for them. They didn't really have any of those plays left. So, you know, I think that's where, the Penn state talent and adjustments kind of took over. And for, you know, the remaining three quarters, they really just imposed their will and, you know, showed they were the more talented team. Yeah. And I want to give some credit to Illinois here coming out with that fast start. I kind of expected that, 
and I think you expected it as well. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit of a more close game than it was, and you had Illinois winning. We saw the graphics throughout the game. They were missing so many players for several reasons. Some opted out of the season because they're declaring for the NFL draft. Some had COVID concerns, and for the game, they had around 50, 52 scholarship players on the team, um, and usually you have 85. So you're missing 30 scholarship players, 35 scholarship players, uh, I know there was like two scholarship linebackers on the team. Um, secondary had two scholarship defensive backs. It was a, a rough game for them. And to their credit, they came out and they played really hard. And even when they were getting blown out by 35 points, they were still hustling. And again, I, I'm a baseball coach and I love just seeing that stuff because it's not just about the wins and losses. It's about the people you're, you know, you're uh what's the word I'm looking for here you're 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 kind of just molding them to young men and that's just a positive thing I think that come out that has to come out of that Illinois team um especially losing their head coach but you know shorthanded Penn State just ended up dominating yeah and you know to your point I think it kind of goes back to the just being happy and grateful that there is a season to play this year and I think that's what a lot of those players probably realize when they're out on the field and especially the ones that don't normally play the guys that weren't on scholarship that were out there, you know, maybe playing in their first game. So they probably just said, you know, here I am, I'm playing this game that I love. Obviously I, I came here to play football and I'm happy that I'm out on the field, even though we're losing, this is a time to have some fun and, and play a little bit of football for, you know, the last time this year. So we gave our perspective on this game and, you know, we posted our Facebook question uh, what are your thoughts on the way this game ended and the 2020 season ended? So we're going to read some of your comments from our Facebook posts and uh, we'll react to them as well. So uh, I'll start with Steve Tentolo. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he said rough first quarter followed by 42 unanswered. I'll take it. I, I think we would too. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll take it too. I, I have my, I had my strategy of picking against them and uh you know, I, I hope it worked. I, maybe I'm the reason that they won. I'll, I'll take credit for, for those 42 unanswered points and, and a nice win. But, yeah, I'd definitely take it as well. I'm happy that they, you know, ended on a positive note. Yeah, and our next one here is from uh, Rick Holes. Best part of the game was more experience for the younger players and more time with the new coaches. Another win can never hurt. I just wish we could have the Maryland and Nebraska games back. Absolutely, Rick. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think we both of us have been kind of echoing this the whole the whole season on every one of our podcasts. This is this is the time to get all those young guys some work, and you know they really have. A lot of injuries have forced true freshmen to get in the action. You mentioned the tight ends before, the running backs. We've talked about them a lot, but you know this is a season where you're not really playing for much. You know, it became evidently you know clear you know almost halfway through the season that they really didn't have much to play for. So it was just kind of a season to to see our young guys and get them some reps moving into the next uh, season. Yeah, and uh, now Ed Freeman is kind of expanding upon uh, Rick's point. Developed players and built depth with game experience. Staff, coach, and team responded. Kept everything moving forward. Should be proud. We are Penn State. I love that comment. Very positive. Uh, and I think you're right. We saw a lot of different players on Saturday. Uh, we even saw uh, Taquan Roberson. Uh, coming in for the last drive and you know we saw some backup running backs and just you know really good to see different guys on the field yeah I mean normal during a normal season there's not many opportunities for that because you're you know constantly in high pressure situations where 
you kind of want your best players and it's not really the best you know strategy to put your most inexperienced guys in in the game at the at the point so you know this was a great time to get those guys reps and especially with uh you know no non-conference games this year usually you see and we saw like i'll mention the idaho game from last year where they won 79 nothing we saw different guys that usually don't play at halftime uh right. this year with an all-conference slate and the team struggling the way it did to you know put up points and prevent turnovers and things like that we didn't really get to see a lot of the new faces and in this game with it being a big 10 conference opponent we were able to see that. So that's always great. And I'm going to get Chris McCormick with an interesting point here. Uh, if they play their schedule in reverse, they get rolling and probably finish seven and two, eight and one Indiana game ruined entire year. Shame. What do you think about that? I would agree with that because, and I've mentioned it so many times before. I think, I don't know if it's just Franklin and his teams, but they've had a very hard time getting over losses. they, get down on themselves very easily and they seem to you know take a while to to dig themselves out of those holes and we've seen that you know year after year when they lose the Ohio State game they seem to either struggle or lose the following game because you know they're kind of their spirits are kind of down after a loss but I think that's you know very true because you know even when you look at the nature of how they lost the first game against Indiana and you know controversial call and, you know, controversial decisions at the end of the game where they probably could have closed it out and won the game. You know, who knows, you know, where the season would have gone if they had the momentum to start the season. And our last comment about this game uh, comes from Jeff Fennessy. Uh, he says, just chalk it up to a crazy year that will have an asterisk behind it. Get the vaccine, people, so we can have 110,000 at uh, Paterno Field. I'm sorry, but it's not called that. It's Beaver Stadium. <laughs> but, yeah, any anything we can do to get 110,000 at Beaver Stadium next year, uh, I don't see that happening necessarily, even, you know, if the vaccine works great or whatever ends up happening with that. But, uh, you know, I hope we can get at least some fans in the stadium next year. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about in the beginning of the season. Like, I'm completely and entirely shocked that that – they didn't have one cancellation, whether it was an opponent or, you know, them themselves having an issue with, you know, COVID outbreak on the team. They played all nine games and, you know, you know, chalk it up as a weird season. It was a weird season, but they played all nine games. You know, they won four, obviously it didn't go exactly what we wanted to, but they played. And I think we should be happy with that. Yes. And James Franklin, as we've said plenty of times before, has wanted this program to be like, the poster child of what teams should do in preventing, you know, COVID spread within college football. And not only have they not had any games canceled, they haven't had any type of issues with it. Like players not missing, looking at the big 10 uh-huh. championship game, Ohio state was missing 20 something guys uh, due to COVID. You know, Chris Olave was one of those guys and Penn State had no such issues, no guys missing because of COVID. Uh, the only issues they really had was a bunch of false positives and they were able to, uh, maneuver around those and have a you know a a strong finish to the season all right so after this game uh, a couple news and notes from Saturday and then the following days Uh, the first one was right after the game a lot of the media with Penn State getting into uh, getting to their fourth win and the Bulls situation is all weird this year where there's you know I saw three and seven Mississippi State is in a bowl game um, but Army, that was 9-2, and two, wasn't because of different deals and all that. But either way, Penn State was in a position where they could be in a bowl game 
and James Franklin said that he would talk to his seniors and his captains about whether they would play in the bowl game or not. And I want to bring you guys back to after our last podcast, me and Brandon had some really good uh, post-podcast banter, and we were discussing whether they should play in a bowl game if they won. And I was thinking about it, and then I, I it just hit me. Like, like the light just, just turned on for me. And I said I didn't want Penn State to play in a bowl game. Reason being, not because I didn't want to see them play or not because, you know, I thought they would lose or anything because they've been playing as well as anybody in the country at this point, you know, given, you know, the teams that they've been playing and all that. But James Franklin from the very start of the year said, hey, whatever my kids want to do, whatever the Big Ten wants to do, I'm all for it. You know, if they want to play, great. I'll be there and I'll post them and, you know, we'll go out and play. If they don't want to play, okay, fine. They, you know, they want to stay safe, whatever it is. The players chose that they wanted to play. They, you know, Justin Fields was big in the Big Ten Conference with rallying players across the, the league into playing. And Franklin was like, all right, I'm going to coach. His family went down to Florida. His daughter has sickle cell, so he didn't want any, t- you know, chance of her getting uh, COVID to happen. And from there, Franklin just, you know, he coached his team. Yes, they had their struggles, but it was a really tough year for him personally. He was by himself at home. Uh, you know, he wasn't seeing his family. Obviously, not winning at the very start was difficult. And what I wanted the Penn State players to do is to say, hey, he wanted us to play. He fought for us to play, and he did what he had to do for us. Let's do what we have to do for him. Let's have him see his family for the holidays, get all the stress off his back for this year, and just let him relax. You know, he had our back. Let's have his back. And that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. I'm, I think this is much bigger than a bowl win. You know, we know how much a bowl win can bring momentum into the next season. But I think this speaks to how much this team backs uh, James Franklin as their head coach and how much they love and support him. And I'm so happy they did it. Uh, what were your thoughts on Penn State choosing to not play the bowl game? Yeah, I mean, see, I, I see both sides of this argument because, you know, the selfish part of me wants to, to watch another game. Because, like I said, and State football has actually been enjoyable for the second half of this season. So, yes, I would love to watch another game. But, you know, that's just me and my opinion on them playing just so I could watch them has no value in their decision. So, but, you know, it, it makes total sense for the decision that they made and as you, for the reasons you just explained. You know, doing it for Franklin was just incredible. It's, it's a really nice gesture and it's – just it, it was a tough season for him, you know, having been away from his family for, I don't know if he might have saw them once throughout the season. I don't, I don't know exactly what the that was, but um, you could tell he was extra emotional. I know me and you watch pretty much all of his press conferences each week, and you could tell he was a different, you know, he was in a different emotional state. And when you keep losing like that, especially in the beginning of the season, it's tough to, you know, not have your family there with you. And I think this is great for them because now – you know, he could go home and enjoy the holiday with his family, you know, get, you know, get the negative tests and go home, you know, everybody's safe and everything. So I like it because of that reason. And also because it's not going to be a big bowl. Um, you know, I could see if it was in new Year's six bowl or something bigger, you know, had the season gone differently, but I don't want them to go out and play in some bowl that you never heard of. You know, I think people always joke about those no namer bowls that between, you know, two really bad teams and obviously the four and five record is not going to get them into um, an amazing bowl. So I think overall this was probably, you know, a really good decision for them. 
Yeah, and it would have been, it looks like it would have been the Duke's uh, Mayo Bowl, which is a bowl that is in the Carolina Panthers Stadium in North Carolina. But it, like you said, it wasn't a New Year's Six Bowl. And even if it was like, I think if it was like the Citrus Bowl, something like that, that we played in a couple of years ago, there would have been a little bit more of a debate. But with a, a lower tier bowl, great decision, I think, just finish the year. And I also think that some of these guys, like uh, uh, Jahan Dotson, you know, I, would he play in that game if he's declaring for the draft? I don't think so. You know, why risk injury? End the season on a really high note and get ready for next year. And hopefully, you know, you kind of just – I mentioned the, the, the love and support for Franklin. End the year on a bright note. End the year with, you know, showing some love and support for your, your head coach and just continue the momentum going to 2021. And, you know, hopefully things get back to normal here. Yeah, I agree. So, again, we posted this after that announcement came out with, about the bowl game not being played. You know, fans, as you know, we did as well, fans had some mixed emotions on it. Uh, so I'll go down the lines here. Um, Steve Rothstein, he said, smart idea on many levels, as, as we said as well. There's a lot of uh, different ideas to this and a lot of different reasons for not playing the bowl game. So I agree with Steve on that. Uh, next one from David M. Bender. Uh, who can fault them? They've been sacrificing all season. Absolutely. Brought that up. Uh, Dave Barr, good move. Time to move on. Agree. Uh, D. Engelhart, they deserve a break. Scott Deber, good decision. <laughs> Jeff Fennessy, again, uh, he had a different take on it. If I was in the locker room, I'd be wanting to play. What's two more practices in a game next weekend? Go five and five, but hey, that's me. So a little bit of a contrarian compared to the first couple comments. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a couple more weeks of being in quarantine away from your family, and Christmas is you know four days away. So I think a lot of the guys are don't look at it just what's two more weeks. I think they look at it like I want to get home and see my family. Yeah, because they you know usually during the bye week during the year they're able to you know go home or their families come to see them or the families come and see them. But we saw that the families couldn't even see them play on Senior Day, so uh-huh. just you know, a different couple different factors that you have to consider there. Um, Ed Gabriel thinks a uh, good decision. David Epstein, excellent decision. These kids have had enough. I totally agree with that. Jay Balseric, uh, he got it a little, a little bit more in depth here at four and five. There's maybe only two bowl games that would take Penn state. So probably best call to call the season. I would also be willing to bet if they accepted a bowl, quite a few players would choose not to participate anyway. Better luck next year. So again, other point that we brought up, Susan uh, Savitt, I think it is, uh, is elaborating the point you keep saying here. Great. They deserve a safe time with their families. They are not entertainers. <laughs> uh, Mike, yeah. Uh, Michael Ricuti, I hope I'm saying that right as well. Uh, good decision. They sacrificed so much to play the season. No real benefit to playing a third-tier bowl game. Would not be a traditional bowl experience. Plus, they play either Saturday or next Wednesday. Why miss Christmas with their family for a nothing game? That's the big question. That's that's what I've been saying. All right. So as you can see, there's a lot of diversity in these comments. And uh, we thank you guys for helping us out here because you guys actually post a lot. So thank you again. Uh, Great job. Yeah, we we love the reactions. Keep them coming. Mentions, uh, you know, Illinois game, bowl game implications. Uh, The other announcement that came this weekend, uh, which was really not a surprise from anybody, especially after he, you know, called it a season after the Nebraska game. Uh, Pat Fryermuth declared for the 2021 NFL Draft, and he's obviously one of the top tight ends um, alongside, you know, Kyle Pitts from Florida, who had a monster game against Alabama on Saturday. 
Fryermuth is, you know, he's certainly leaving his legacy at Penn State. And for me, he's somebody that loves Penn State. Last year, we thought that he'd be leaving for the NFL draft, especially after KJ Hamler uh, declared. And, you know, those are the top two options for the Penn State offense last year. Fryermuth was like, I'm not ready to go. I, I love this. I love playing in college. And, you know, he came back and, you know, he had a, a nice year from, you know, even though Penn State was struggling. But for his career, 92 catches, uh, you know, 1,185 yards. He had 16 touchdown catches, which is the most by a Penn State tight end. And he actually passed Mike Jacecki uh, on that list this year. Overall, he's eighth all-time at Penn State in touchdown catches. And he holds uh, the record for receiving touchdowns by a Penn State freshman tight end with eight in a season. What are your thoughts on Mike Jacecki? Or not Mike Jacecki, Pat Fryermuth. <laughs> Well, speaking of Mike Jacecki, I think that Penn State has really turned into, you know, quite the school for tight ends over the past couple of years. We've seen a lot of them go out and, you know, Firemuth is a really good talent, but he's just another example of, of a tight, a nice tight end that's come out of Penn State. So, you know, I think he's got big things ahead of him. And, and I think, you know, I'll talk about him a little bit more, you know, further in the podcast, but just say, I like a lot of things about the way he plays, so I'm excited for him and excited for his career ahead of him. Yeah, and even though he only played in four games this year, uh, Firemuth was named uh, the Big Ten uh, tight end of the year. So, you know, he definitely left his impact on the season, uh, despite <laughs> it being shortened by injury. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, I think ever since Bill O'Brien got to Penn State, they've really built a reputation as a really good tight end school. And though some of those guys that were with Bill O'Brien haven't really developed into, you know, NFL tight ends. You know, he had four tight ends at one point playing. Um, and then with Franklin, you know, we mentioned Jasicki, uh, Fryermuth, obviously. And then we have a couple guys that looks like in Strange and Johnson that are emerging as well. Now, in terms of Fryermuth, what was your favorite memory of him uh, from Penn State? Yeah, so my my memory is kind of a a very you know minor one, but I think it kind of fits into like his entire career at Penn State and just how he plays. So in the Cotton Bowl last year, there was a play where he caught the ball and went down the left side of the sideline, you know, right around like the five or so, and just lowered his shoulder, absolutely blasted the defender to the ground. And I'll tell you, I love when you know tight ends and you know even some of the bigger wide receivers just you know, lower their shoulder and just knock over tacklers. And that was something that he did quite often. And I'll tell you, I loved watching it. You know, the one, the cotton ball was just one for some reason that stuck out to me. I don't know why I still remember that, but that's just one example of the many times that he's done that. And I think that's why I picked it as my favorite memory. Yeah. He almost nearly got in the end zone. He stepped out of bounds yes. right before that, but he, he definitely destroyed that Memphis defender, you know, looking back also on last year, he had three touchdown catches against Michigan State, and he on one of those he lowered the shoulder and just fell in the end zone. Uh, so, yeah. um, however, that is not my favorite memory of Pat Fryermuth. I'm going back to his freshman year, and it was the second touchdown catch of his career. And it was somebody at this point we didn't know who Pat Fryermuth was. We just thought, oh, a new tight end. We have to replace Jasicki. You know, this guy didn't even start the first game of the year. And against Ohio State, he you know Penn State's in the red zone. And Trace McSorley play action to uh, Sanders and McSorley just drops back, just flings it up in the end zone. And Fryermuth is completely covered, like white on rice. And he just puts his one paw up and he catches it mm-hmm. one-handed. And I'm not a huge fan of Chris Fowler. I think, you know, overall I think he's pretty good. 
but some people just clamor over him. And I thought that was an awesome call from Fowler on the catch. He just the way he said firing with fire move. Like he was like <laughs> he's just emerging on the national stage there between Hamler and Firemuth in that game. The Penn State freshmen were just, you know, it was their coming out party. Uh so I love that catch from Firemuth and I thought it was a really good sign of things to come. And uh I guess it was one of those reasons why that everybody calls him Baby Gronk. So love that catch. Uh, yeah, I like. I do remember that, and I do consider myself uh, an announcer connoisseur, and that was one of uh, Chris Fowler's better calls. Yeah, and especially if Penn State won that game, that gave them the lead at that point. It was twenty to fourteen. That would have made it all the, the merrier. But we all know how that game ended, so I don't uh, want to bring up any bad memories <laughs> on a, a really positive podcast. This is an upbeat podcast this time. This episode is 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 positive. Yeah, and I just want to bring up one other uh, point here. Uh, Penn State actually added a transfer from the transfer portal. And from what it looks like, it is somebody that has been a prospect for them in the past, uh, from Baylor actually, is John Lovett. And he is a transfer senior uh, running back from Baylor. He was previously recruited by Penn State back in the recruiting cycle with like Journey Brown in it. And just reading articles about his recruitment with Penn State, it just seemed like it was, you know, wrong timing with his offer. Um, you know, Journey Brown, it seemed like got an offer before he did. And then, you know, he was already committed to Rutgers and then eventually uh, Baylor. And it just, you know, timing wasn't right between Penn State and uh, Lovett coming to Penn State. But he announced uh, yesterday that he's going to be coming to Penn State. And, you know, we love what we see from Holmes and Lee. Um, Devin Ford, we'll see if he's in the mix next year. Uh, and then we're expecting Noah Kane back as well. But as you saw, running back depth can go away pretty quickly. So, um, you know, Lovett has some experience, and, you know, he's going to be added to this running back room. What do you think? Yeah, we had – we went into the season thinking we had some, you know, a lot of depth, and we didn't even think we'd see the guys, you know, the freshmen. But as you said, it goes quick. So I don't think we could complain about having another guy in that room, especially a guy that – as a senior, so experienced in, in the college stage, they'll add a nice little uh, veteran mix to that to that locker room, to that group. Yeah, so you know, little side note, but you know, it's positive news again, and uh, otherwise really positive podcast. So, uh, welcome mm-hmm. to the squad, John. Love it. <laughs> now that they didn't pick a bowl game, I cannot pick them to lose anymore. I said I was going to pick them to lose for the rest of the year. No more. We got four straight wins of my uh, lost picks. So that's it for me on the the negative picks. I'll say that now. (laughs) This is actually going to be our last podcast of the year uh, because Penn State's not playing in a bowl game. We don't have a game preview to do. uh, No game recaps to finish with. So, uh, you know, thank you guys for listening uh, throughout this crazy 2020 year. You know, we have a couple things planned for 2021, especially early on. Um, we're going to do, you know, a season review where we talk about, you know, not only these last four games and how great they were and all that, but talk about the first five and how we can kind of balance things out and look at it through, a, you know, a certain lens. And then also we're going to do a stay of the program type of uh, podcast where we're going to break down each position group, uh, talk about what to expect for 2021. And then hopefully by then we'll have some answers on um, guys like Jahan Dotson, maybe some transfer portal. Um, issues. Um, maybe we get some late recruits. Who knows? Um, so those are some things we have planned for 2021. 
um, early on. And then, you know, hopefully from there we could see, uh, you know, where things are trending uh, with the virus, with spring football, um, winter workouts, all that different stuff. Um, so a lot of stuff that we have planned for the new year and hopefully we can uh, get to it pretty easily without any disruptions like we had in 2020. Yeah. But for now we're signing off for 2020. Um, we appreciate everyone who followed along on for the glory and, you know, definitely tell your friends, um, keep commenting, keep reacting. We appreciate it. Um, we're trying to grow the page. We love Penn state just as much as you do. So um, let's make this a bigger, a big page and uh, get a whole community going. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys again for uh, listening to this one. Um, and we hope you guys have a very safe and healthy, you know, holiday, new year's, all that. Um, and we'll talk to you in 2021.